Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Podcast Pasta. That's a podcast that's like pasta, not the podcast that's about pasta. As always, I'm your host, Mike, and today I am joined with Gaming Muse, a video essayist、uh, on YouTube. You have a number of videos focusing on the intersection of Japanese, and I'm kind of paraphrasing from.、Um, Your YouTube profile here it says that、uh, you focus on the intersection of Japanese、uh, occult and religious themes with the focus on you know video games, hence your、mm-hmm. name.、Uh, you also have a secondary channel which you focus on like I think、uh, Japanese and Chinese literature amongst you know other topics.、Uh, Muse, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. So.、Uh, My my go to leading question, as my audience knows, is I know I gave you a very brief introduction, but I guess if you want to kind of、uh, expand on that a little bit and explain in your own words what you do and what motivates the content that you create. Sure,、uh, I am a researcher and a writer.、Uh, got my start, you know, making essay videos, kind of accidentally, just messing around with my video editing program in college, and.、Uh, Got really interested in religious and ethical studies, and kind of blended the two together.、Uh, nowadays, I tend to focus on Japan and, to an extent, China because both of those are kind of blowing up culturally. The books and TV shows and video games are all very big, and、uh, I just find them fascinating to read about. So that's that's how we got here.、Mm, very cool. Very cool. Now.、Um... You, you kind of said、uh, there briefly that you did this, like、um, you know, as kind of a way to kind of explore your video editing skills. But、uh, I, it, with like YouTube, the YouTube essay sphere, you know, you have people of like very different backgrounds. You have some people that you know are going to college, some that you know are like post grad work. So I guess、uh, explain your like educational background and how that kind of、uh, guides the work that you do on YouTube. Sure.、Um, I went to college at、uh, Meredith University, University Meredith College, whatever.、Uh, oh, you don't、I、have to became... be too specific. I don't know, like if that would dox you in any way. Like the, you know, you. Oh, I, to... I've already I've moved far away.、Um, I、uh, was an English major, which、uh, didn't immediately thrill my parents, but、uh, I, I fought them on it. I was always very, from a young age, very into writing and reading. It was my obsession. Um, and from there,、uh, in my, I, I guess I had to take a an elective, and I took a religious ethics class, and I became obsessed.、Uh, if I could have, I would have minor, majored in religion. Unfortunately, that was a step too far for mom and dad, <laughs> and、uh, I did. I minored in it and、uh, studied. Uh, mostly Christianity and Judaism in the minor, because you don't get a lot of time to kind of, you know, they they kind of want to give you a general understanding of what you might meet on the street in America. And then later, I got really interested into Eastern traditions.、Uh, my original goal was、uh, I was going to become a professor, go to secondary, you know, to grad school, and that just, you know, just didn't work out. I ended up going kind of straight into retail. Uh, but eventually, as I was doing these other jobs, my YouTube channel just kind of slowly started gaining steam to the point that I found it was working out for me more than working at Target was. So I pivoted, and here we are.、Mm, congrats! Yeah, <laughs> got、um, lucky. Yeah, I definitely noticed. I think、uh, 
And it's the video that actually got me into your work was, uh, I think the masculinity in Devil May Cry, right? Was like, that one yes. blew up for you. It did. I don't know what magic button I hit, but it exploded. And I'm very grateful. Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't know. I think it started getting like fed into the algorithm because I remember, uh, I think I was like stumbling across like either watching cutscenes from, uh, dmca5 and uh like some combo video stuff and then like i guess because i also watch video essays it like threw me that video my way it's like oh okay i think to at least a certain extent it was the title because i got a lot of people commenting assuming that it was going to be like some woke sjw shit about how the men are evil in this game and then they were all shocked that it wasn't and so i got all these clicks of people expecting to hate it who stuck around because they realized it wasn't what they thought it was <laughs> yeah, nice yeah nice. got lucky um very weirdly so uh i'm very i'm very interested part of the reason i wanted to bring you on was your particular focus on like japanese horror and you know the intersection of occult and religious themes in your um videos because uh my, my own experience with the japanese horror was very limited to uh you know the resurgence that we had in like the 2000s with like ringu and basically kind of like how it played alongside the general rise of like internet horror because you know obviously the 2000s internet's new technology kind of freaked people out um i, I think there was even a specific name uh, ryan hollinger uh that is it, the name is just eluding me right now but um i i but obviously japanese horror has had like a much more expansive history than that that even continues to this day so i i guess since you might have more experience with it uh what are just some general broader trends that we see in japanese horror that we're not necessarily seeing in other parts of the world well i think part of it part of japan's strength with horror has a lot to do with the way that their literature has evolved over time and how uh, so much of it was very personal. Uh, the very first written works in Japanese were all like personal diaries of upper-class women who were just writing whatever they were thinking about. Poetry, personal entries, that kind of thing. Uh, the very first book was just a, a noble woman trying to entertain herself and her friends. Um, and the, these very personal writings, uh, very heartfelt writings, kind of reflected themselves in the poetry as well, which is huge in Japan, where they were all very centered on this one individual snapshot moment this person was experiencing that would never come again. Uh, this very fleeting sensation. Um, and there, there are words for it in Japanese, which are all escaping me, of course. But it, it's very focused on how ephemeral and momentary life is, how easily it's all swept away, and the kind of combined sense of uh, a bittersweetness, of nostalgia, of loss, and yet also kind of love because you know that this moment's not going to last and so you appreciate it all the more, that kind of gets blended together into all of their work from the earliest ages and so moves into horror as horror evolves. And it evolves very fast in Japan, I would argue from the earliest days, the, the amount of ghost stories in Japan and, and stories of curses and monsters that eat people and cannibals is huge, more so than a lot of, I, I don't know, I can't say, I guess, a lot of cultures, but I would think more so than, than the ones I, I studied in school, I guess, because uh, partially, I think, they've 
had such a long culture of, of war and struggle. Every 100, 200 years, everything collapses and everybody starts killing each other. So there, there's all this, this sense of loss and death, again, this sense that nothing is permanent that's so uh, constant in their work. Right, I, I, I definitely see that. Um, one other trend that I've, uh, well, not really noticed myself, but I, I think uh, in a wider scale has also kind of affected it, especially like in the modern scope, was that I know Japanese media, I think, especially when you compare it to a lot of like Western work, is um, very kind of, I would say, adverse to like gore in the same way. That because I, I I think there was like that um, beheading case that that like affected mm. like you know uh, censorship in certain yeah. like um, media, and so I think like in Japan and you you could correct me if I'm wrong, but um, they didn't see like the kind of resurgence that we did in like uh, for lack of like you know the like torture genre of horror mm. that we saw with like Saw and you know other movies like that so i i guess like with that uh, in mind how did it like diverge away from like away from like you know that with that censorship in mind they definitely have stricter rules over in japan and that has affected projects over time silent hill for instance famously everyone knows that the the children monsters were censored they don't realize that it was connected to these previous instances a few years earlier where there was uh, a child that actually killed some other children. Uh, another game, Twilight Syndrome, was released around the same time and unfortunately was themed on that concept and and so there was there were games that were affected by, you know, real world events and that happens multiple times. Um I would say gore is still big, but where I see it is in manga. Uh I've seen a lot of a lot more like uh uh, Junji Ito, oh, the body horror and the gore and the nastiness. Um, uh, Devil Man, um, the, those kind of works. Uh, Monster and um, Pluto, I think, have some there as well. But I don't think it's uh, allowed to move to the live action universe, you know, as much as, you know, we're absolutely fine with putting Saw on TV. You know, that that's not as big an issue over here. But I don't think you're going to see it as often. I'm sure we could find some kind of, like, gory Japanese horror movie. But I do think it's a lot less common. And I think it is because, you know, it's con being so lifelike. The, the concern culturally about real-world consequences is far more, uh, I guess, realized. Whereas in America, you know, we, we don't pay attention to how our media affects anything, I guess, is unfortunately... You know, we're allowed to make most whatever, and, you know, crime runs abundant. Like, there's, I don't know, I am not a sociologist, I don't know how much of that stuff is connected. And, you know, I'm sure there is also the argument that some Japanese rules are a little too strict, but um, they, they, they seem to be more concerned about trying to at least fight the image that this, this work on television could have affected people. But I guess because manga's printed, it's just not, you know, as closely regulated. You, you probably you have to like, you know, it, like when you go into a manga store over here and it's rated 18, they wrap it in plastic, that kind of thing. Right, okay, I, I, I see what you mean. Um, I guess to get more specific, because like I said when I uh, started this call, that what got me into your work was that uh, 
you know, Devil May Cry video in which he discussed the masculine archetypes as portrayed by the three male leads. Um, and yeah, I think I was, you described my experience very well. I, I thought it was going to be just more of a general overview of like, oh, um, what, what like masculine, like a critical view of like the masculine traits portrayed by them. And like, maybe you could focus on like how, you know, Dante and Virgil, uh, part of their issue is that they don't really they're not really like self-realized in the sense that they can't talk through their problems as like brothers and that how that could kind of relate into like you know the general issue with guys expressing their emotions and i and honestly i was down if the video was going to go in that direction i mean i watched pop culture detective you know he's very critical of like the portrayal of like certain masculine tropes in media but um the direction that you took was, uh, I think, very, very enlightening, especially since it's things that I've noticed in Japanese media, but I never knew, like, the historical context, like you said, with um, Virgil being the more stoic brother, Dante being the more, like, rowdy one, and Nero kind of, you know, fitting in between, in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, very, very good He literally wears video. both their colors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and... Um, so I, I guess I guess what I noticed was that video though was very like descriptive or like you made mostly descriptive statements in regards to like explaining these three archetypes between the leads but there wasn't really any like prescriptive you know um, you know statements made so I, I guess was that intentional on your part like did you just want to purely focus on like describing these archetypes without like putting any like what you know which archetypes ought to like how these archetypes ought to be or you know um making like value judgments on them or is there you know is there something that i missed there no i i understand what you're saying um i feel like fiction should be allowed to exist for fiction's sake and if the author is trying to make some kind of value judgment then obviously we we should take that into account and you know evaluate that but Nowadays, I think people are very quick to assign value judgments to fictional characters and their actions in ways that are really not helpful and regressive when, you know, ultimately this is all about entertainment. And of course, entertainment can have, you know, its negative effects or what have you, but I don't think anyone's gonna look at Dante as like a healthy ideal of masculinity and go out and try and, you know, fight demons and eat pizza as their ideal man, if you know what I mean. I prefer to kind of explore, I guess, the building blocks of fiction rather than the morality of fiction. Because I got my start researching this kind of stuff over in the Tumblr circle back in, back in college, and I was very much, you know, oh, this character's not moral because they do this, this, or that, and this is why, and, you know, society, and blah, blah, blah. It just, eventually I kind of realized there's a place for that, but for the most part, it's not its not going to serve a purpose on the internet. It's not going to be helpful. People are far too ready to, like, send people to jail for liking a villain in, you know, b because they find the villain character interesting, they are cancelled. You know, it's ridiculous. So I try to keep away from making any kind of value or moral judgment on characters because I know... Those are those are just dark waters. I'm not interested in that. Mm, I see. Yeah, like not actually go to jail, just yeah. Like, well, take it <laughs> easy there. 
Um, yeah, there, there are those people on Twitter. You know, I don't know if you know about this, but people currently are... Um, uh, I don't know the entire details, but basically they were sending uh, illegal things, illegal pornography to the admin, the free volunteers of Archive of Our Own, because Archive has all kinds of content on it that's cancelled. And so they're committing real crimes and hurting real people because of fictional characters. Uh, that's that's yeah. very rough. Yeah. Um. So, uh, well, I don't know if I should ask you then. Um, like, I guess just from a personal preference uh, with the three male leads in uh, Devil May Cry, because I, I think I have my own preference myself but I, I i don't know if you've I, I don't know if you necessarily thought that through yourself but like do you have a preference for like you know the archetypes or you know in terms of how they're portrayed by by them virgil is my absolute favorite i love a character that screws up so bad just the oops i murdered half the town because i was sad today my bad i just like it just he they're fascinating characters he he's so multifaceted and he's a very common trope I think that kind of you know sort of the samurai but also the I guess the the redeemed bad guy is very common in Japan it's so often you know the season three of the anime the guy that was the big bad before is now your best friend like Vegeta you know and, and the things these people do and then they they turn around and they they're redeemable because we like them you know uh and obviously, I think Virgil's gonna have some some sins to pay for in the next Devil May Cry. But I, I like those kind of characters; they're they're intriguing. You see, I I like the style of Virgil, but I think like after watching your video, I kind of lean more towards like Nero, especially in like the latest entry, because you know I I feel like he's your average dude. Well, and I feel like he's more, like, self-realized because you kind of made the mm -hmm. point, like, it takes him for, like, Dante and Virgil to kind of, like, recon, like, you know, recon, yeah. you know, like, basically get along and, like, see the error and, like, how, um... It takes him to unite them, too. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's great. He's kind of the, like, I think he's really relatable because he is the most down-to-earth, and I think that makes him likable as a protagonist. And kind of interesting also from like a generational perspective, which again, I don't know how much of this is really intended. It just kind of happens. I don't know. Um, generationally, you know, the older generation is so traumatized. And think about Japan. And I guess this game was started in the 90s, you know, uh, the older generation being traumatized. And now this newer generation's coming in that hasn't lived through these struggles that we did in the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, kind of getting to see how the younger generation's helping the older traumatized people get through their shit. I just, I find that really captivating as a metaphor, even if it was very likely, I don't know that it was intended, but but the reading is there. Right, definitely, definitely. And um, I do notice how, um, what, what your, like, your video did for me too was that like, it, it kind of made me realize, and again, um, this might lean more into like a moral value judgment, like whatever, that's part of like what I kind of did before doing like interviews really is that um, with like Dante and Virgil, it, it's interesting how even though they do embody these like very different archetypes, they kind of have similar faults in their personality where it's like 
emotionally they have a harder time connecting like with each other and even to some degree like characters around them it's just expressed in different ways so you know since virgil's most more stoic you know he just he just closes himself off and won't talk to them and i feel like with dante you get kind of more of this guise of uh like you know like oh everything's just a joke so you don't have to like mm-hmm. seriously connect with people because you know it's yeah. just like the guy that's kind of friendly to everybody so he has no friends yeah like yeah i guess that's an interesting way to put it um but no yeah definitely great video um i guess to kind of move away from that because you also do focus on the uh, silent hill franchise you have like a whole series where it's like i think 10 minute videos um in which you explore like specific themes behind um certain enemies or certain areas in um you know the silent hill games um so i guess uh i mean i don't want i don't want to break your heart with this but like you know with konami recently like there hasn't really been a lot of move towards like having new entries in the series uh are you are you optimistic in seeing any more of a return to Silent Hill, or what, what's your whole thoughts on that? I am optimistic in a long term sense. I've always had the feeling of, you know, things can change so easily. Look like uh, maybe ten fifteen years ago uh, at Square Enix and. They were taking six, seven, eight years to finish anything. We never thought we were going to see Final Fantasy 15 or Kingdom Hearts 3 or, you know. And nowadays, I feel like that company's really on the top of their game. Everything that's coming out is so much fun. You know, things change in a decade or two. Uh, executives change. Three years ago, uh, Konami's president changed. Uh, the new person in charge. I don't know how correlated this is, but I mean, the person changed around 2019 and then suddenly there's this huge shift in supposedly Silent Hill getting developed. We don't know. Uh, Eventually, somebody at Konami is going to see something on the shelf and pull it down and dust it off and say, hey, we could do something with this. It might take a decade, but eventually just, you know, the, the swift river of time, it'll change and we'll see something. Right, but Square Enix did suffer that loss from like the poor sales of Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy to the point where they had to sell like uh, the Tomb Raider oh. game, right? Square Enix is, oh man, they're having both success and failure. It's wild. Like their teams that are making games, like Final Fantasy Remake was great. Uh, Octopath Traveler, I think, belongs to them, and they just came out with Triangle Strategy. Like, the the teams that they have working for them are doing some great stuff, and then the executives have no idea what they're doing. I I foresee that president getting uh, voted out at some point soon. Do you do you foresee, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, your video essays, I know this isn't really the stuff that you talk no, you're about. you're fine. But um, <laughs> do you see, like, do you foresee, like, the PlayStation buyout of Square Enix? Because that's, like, what some people have been throwing out here or there. I don't know. Honestly, I'm not sure. Square Enix is still pretty huge. I do not think they have fallen so far as that's going to happen. I won't say it could never happen. I I foresee uh, an executive switchover first. I think at this point they've just put somebody in charge who thinks they know what they're doing and they're not. It's just like the the previous guy thought that console gaming was coming to an end and the computers were the future, so he didn't back the console games and that was a stupid idea like they just keep seem to hiring idiots i don't know uh but no i i don't think it's going that way just yet 
Okay. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. Um, I'm sorry, focusing back on uh, Silent Hill has uh, a weird tangent there. Um, you know, I, I just I kind of feel the pain, like uh, because I like Silent Hill too, or I mean Silent Hill in general, yes. not specifically <laughs> Silent Hill Two. You know, um, Silent Hill as well. As well, yes. Um, but now, like, it, it just reminds me of the same pain that I feel with, like, Splinter Cell, which, you know, hasn't seen an entry in, like, years. It's yeah. mostly been regulated to, like, DLC and other games. It's like, oh, yeah, great. You know, acknowledge yeah. that the series exists, but... Yeah, that's a shame. It's a I think shame. Silent Hill gets a lot more attention for it, solely because of the way that it was shelved. The, the drama and the controversy of it. Uh, adds a little extra sting to it, which is why you hear so much about it all the time. Because there's plenty of other games that we haven't seen anything of in ev forever that, you know, you don't quite hear the same kind of... Like Legacy of Kane. I really hope this recent sale by Square means we're going to see Legacy of Kane again. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, yeah. But, you know, with you being optimistic about, like, the future of Silent Hill, I guess, like, what would you want, what directions would you want them to go into in exploring the world of Silent Hill from what, like, you haven't seen so far? Because, you know, we've seen a number of inspirations. I mean, I only know, like, the Western inspirations from those games. Like, uh, I remember, uh, golly, which one was the one that, like, took place in the room? Um, uh, Silent Hill 4. Yeah, 4, it was kind of inspired by, like, the story by, like, Stephen King, in which, you know, guy goes to, like, a hotel room. It's, like, a haunted hotel. Um, and then you have, like, inspiration from, like, Jacob's Ladder, the, you know, the film that inspired, like, some of the visuals and things like that. So I guess, since you know more about, like, the Japanese inspiration, where they could draw from there, what do you think they can go into, like, you know, future-facing for the series? Well, I remember when PT was happening that there was rumors of getting uh, Junji Ito involved, who is by far the most famous and popular horror manga artist of the the entirety of the country, probably living right now. Um, and very recently, his works have finally started getting physical publications over in America, and I've been finally getting to read them physically. It's amazing. Um, and I think that would be something I'd love to see them try and, and do again, to have someone, kind of like how Elden Ring brought in uh, George R.R. R. Martin. It would be fascinating to see a standalone Silent Hill with influences from Junji Ito, who would just blow it out of the water. Uh, in, in more general sense, I think uh, standalone stories would be great. And I don't think we're going to see... If we, you know, if the series does come back, I don't think we're going to see a lot of the cult stuff return. I think that was a very specific era of Japanese culture that has come to an end. And I don't know, some people will probably be happy, some people will probably be disappointed. But I imagine the future is probably going to be a lot more stories more like Silent Hill 2, uh, Silent Hill 4 maybe, where it's uh, individual stories of people that end up in the town for one reason or another. Mm, sounds very interesting. Yeah, he's also. Um, oh wait, am I? I'm sorry. Am I mistaking him? Uh, for I think I might be mistaking him for somebody else. Uh, like Junji Ito. Uh, I think doesn't doesn't he have a show coming out on like Adult Swim soon? Or I swear, I think I'm thinking of somebody else. They're they're making a movie or a show out of one of his more popular works. I remember reading. I think it was Uzumaki. You may be thinking of the same person. Yes, yes, that's the that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that that one's actually the one that inspired Silent Hill, which 
is amazing. Uh, I would love to see, uh, I can't wait to see the, the new animation. There was an older one as well, um, but it's all about like a, a haunted town that uh, weird, strange things keep happening and people keep dying in strange ways. Hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so I guess kind of moving like in a, in a broader way, uh, this is kind of like more of a general question that I asked for like some guests here and there. Uh, but are there like any series that you haven't explored yet on your YouTube channel that you would like um, want to explore? Well, uh, video game wise, uh, I, I've been trying to branch out into more things. Uh, I've, I've got a couple of Fatal Frame things I'd love to do. Uh, I've touched on that series once or twice. Um, Final Fantasy I'd like to get back to. Uh, I'd love to do more about Japanese culture in general. Uh, my, my video that I, I keep thinking about doing and then thinking, what, I don't even know who would watch this. Um, there's a TV show in Japan called Niko Samurai, which became really famous on the internet for five minutes because of a picture of a samurai holding a white cat and defending it with his sword. And everybody thought, like, that went viral and thought it was adorable. But the show was never made readily available anywhere on the, the western coast. Like, you can't buy it, you can't rent it, you can't download it, you can't do anything. And I would love to just do a video about how the samurai is portrayed in this, like, as a concept is portrayed in this series because it's really fascinating. Uh, the, the main character is completely disgraced in the worst way that a samurai could be. He failed to be a second at a seppuku, which is like the worst thing you could do. And yet the story portrays him as a very honorable and good person, more so because he failed, because he didn't want to kill somebody. And is also just very funny, very cute, full of cats. It's a great series. And I have no idea if anyone would ever watch this video, but sometimes I think about doing that. Hmm. And, and would you do that on the secondary channel, or...? I'm not sure. The, the secondary channel started because I was doing live readings of books, and YouTube hates when you do live streams. Uh, it stops promoting all your videos, and so I was like, well, this is terrible, and I moved all the book stuff to the second channel because I wanted people to be able to, like, search and find book readings, you know, for whatever book. And that, that channel does all right. Every once in a while, I have some folks being like, thanks for reading this book or what have you. But uh, uh, they're over there because they are so long. Um, this one, I, I might try the main channel, see if I can't make, you know, a kind of side series. Because I did do a video just on Japanese literature on the main channel that did good. Uh, so I, I might try it and see how it does. Uh, you know, I can always move it later, <laughs> which is what I've done before. Oh, okay, makes sense. Well, I mean, if, if you come up with that, I'll definitely look forward to it for sure. Oh, thanks. Um, I think also on the main channel, I noticed you did uh, kind of, I can't remember the title of it specifically, uh, where you were discussing like the history of like just a broader look at the general history of like media in Japan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was it about the uh, occult boom? I think so. God, I, hold on. Um, it was a Shin Megami Tensei video, but it was really about the kind of cultural thing that started the series. Um, no, it wasn't that one. It was like just a broader... Uh, hold on, uh, let me try and... I don't want to try and make too much noise because my mic is like right there. <laughs> uh, use DMCA. You see, I'm a professional. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. 
What kills me is I don't have a second monitor. Um, golly, where was it? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, right here. Understand Japan, the ancient roots of modern uh, media tropes, right? Yes, that's what I was... Uh, oh, that I was... I just posted recently. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, They're fine. But um, I guess, like... Because, unfortunately, I didn't get to see all of this uh, before uh, our call today. But um, I was just kind of wondering, like, I guess in a broader sense, like, for people... Um, who might not be as familiar with like Japanese media what what like general uh, uh, stereotypes or like that would you want to like break from that type of audience or like to like any misconceptions about Japanese media that you would want to like like correct what, what would be like the big one for you uh, well this comes back to the um, uh, what we were talking about earlier about value judgments um, China, Japan, Eastern cultures in general, from what I've experienced, are far, far less likely to assign a value judgment to a person based on a piece of media. Because uh, if you go really far back, it has a lot to do with how our various cultures evolved. The West had this idea of a lawgiver, uh, one god, one god to rule them all. You know, <laughs> not like that, but um, this idea that we had one person that we answered to who was judge, jury, executioner, so you gotta follow the rules or else, meant that there were always gonna be certain things that were big no-nos. Whereas China, Japan, the cultures around there, they never have had that concept. There was never this, like there was a heavenly emperor, there was, but there was no one that was like the big guy, the big judge. Uh, so there was never this sense of like, what were our, our morality is being tied to our religion. It wasn't like that, uh, especially thousands of years ago. That would change, but that was divided for a long time. And so there's less of a sense of judgment in their fiction and a tendency to be far more risque, violent, uh, strange. And I think Japan and the West is known for it. I mean, the reputation of the kind of sexual things that are in their fiction, the kind of violence, the kind of uh, perversions, I guess, um, tend to, to certain audiences in the West, you know, you and you see this on like younger folks on Twitter who are like trying out uh, politics for the first time and trying to figure out how they're gonna make the world a better place and deciding that how they're gonna do that is by yelling at people on the internet for liking fictional characters. And that's, you see, like recently, there was an I think an author of a uh, a Western comic book about two young gay men that became the Netflix TV show Heartstopper. That's done really well. I'm so happy for them. But they made a comment about how that someone, like a reviewer, maybe it was, uh, made a comment about how wholesome that was, as opposed to those perverted Japanese BL, you know, these these horrible things, like making this huge broad stroke about an entire culture's fiction. Uh, and saying how it was all perverted and wrong, all because of this idea that, like, we have to assign a moral value to a fictional thing. And that is just the wrong way to look at this fiction. Uh, Japan just evolved differently and has different uh, expectations for, you know, what's allowed in fiction. They are far more willing to explore the weird and the wacky than we are. And when we do it, we become far more upset about it. I mean, the whole of, of gothic fiction and how shocking it was to those who were there when it first started was because those gothic fiction writers were willing to explore the forbidden and they were kind of condemned for it publicly at the time even today some of those books are still seen as like you know we gotta ban them we're gonna ban these books uh japan 
they're, they're willing to explore a lot of things. That's not to say there's not, you know, morality scares over there. They're everywhere. But I see a lot of that where there's a misunderstanding of the morality of the Japanese people based on what they're willing to talk about in fiction. And there's no correlation. <laughs> like, w what is fictional is fictional. We've seen it again and again. You know, the, the, the idea that there's a one-to-one -one in what you enjoy, if that were true, all of us who play Grand Theft Auto would be murderers. <laughs> and that's just not true. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I get that. I think um, the only thing is, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with, um, I don't know, like maybe pointing out like, okay, so I guess I'm kind of curious then because um, like how, how with that like approach to like media, how would you handle like more, I guess, um, for lack of a better term, like problematic work, like, you know, you know, here mm -hmm. in the West, you had like, uh, birth of a nation which is right out oh yeah like like flat yeah. out like racist and fascist uh -huh. but so like if you don't have if you don't like at least tempt like these like kind of judging work on like you know some type of moralistic terms how would you kind of avoid the proliferation of like you know though that type of work in a sense and uh, that's definitely something that's that's an issue when you know you're, you're trying to deal with media online and the first and only thing i would say is listen 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 and that's the problem we have with a lot of this is you'll have japanese folks online saying stuff like oh no this is you know this is whatever you're misunderstanding this and um, westerners coming in and saying oh no i know what's right and true about japan and this is what's moral like the whole argument about uh fujoshi culture in japan and the misunderstanding of like Americans coming in and deciding that Fujoshis are straight women that are taking advantage of gay men. And that is not the reality of Japan at all. That is not the reality of gay men whoa, whoa, in Japan. Back, back, that is back, not back the up, reality. Um, well, what's Fujoshi? Like, my audience is probably ah, not going to okay. know that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I apologize. Um, there's, so, this has a lot to do with uh, Eastern traditions for women and the, the very strict gender the rules for these cultures, how women are supposed to behave and dress, like it's very, very strict. Um, far more so I think than, than we are over here, even though things are changing. And uh, there developed this kind of uh, culture around the enjoyment of fiction about gay men. Because in a lot of the fiction that was coming out at the time, women didn't exist or were not interesting. Like the, the male characters were written as human beings who had more interesting uh, relationships. And so you'd have these women who would read the stories like that. And the men of the, that time, that culture would be like, oh, well, you're so perverted. You're so nasty. You're so, you're Fujoshi. And so they said, well, f screw you. I'm going to, I'm going to take that brand and I'm going to make that my name. Fine. I am a pervert. I'm going to stand over here with the perverts and be cool with them and not judge people. And so this culture evolved around this association between uh, women who enjoyed, I, uh, saying gay men, we, we can broaden it to alternative sexualities in fiction. You know, reading romance that wasn't about two straight people, which is what was considered the norm. Uh, they embraced that and em embraced the idea of being weird and, and perverted and uh, are kind of a subculture of Japan. Westerners, outside of this context and not knowing anything about this history, just kind of learning about the term and that it was a woman that reads gay stuff, decided, oh, they're, they're stereotyping and they're fetishizing and they're like just coming in to make moral judgments about a culture they know nothing about. 
and it, it's just wild stuff. And, and that's, to get back to the first question, you really have to listen. It is hard to judge a work on its morality when it's not your culture. Like, the, the Sailor Moon, for instance, in the West, Sailor Moon is seen as so feminine and so girly and uh, to a certain extent kind of like, oh, well, these girls are so traditionally feminine, they aren't, you know, they aren't fighting against the tradition of femininity, you know what I mean? I've heard some folks be like that. In Japan, the, the standard of femininity is so high that Sailor Moon, with its plucky teenage girl that sleeps late and is, you know, a eats all the time and is rude, was considered a tomboy. Like, she was far more masculine than was the female tradition in Japan, and so was kind of going against the grain. But Americans aren't going to see it that way, because our culture's different. Whenever you're trying to, like, judge this, this kind of... to interpret media, you always have to recognize, when you are working with the media of a different culture, that you are an outsider that you are going to miss things, you're going to misunderstand things, you are coming to the work, even if it's been translated for you, with a lesser understanding. And you have to be careful about the kind of judgments you make, the kind of things that you, you think about the work, because you're working with incomplete data. And uh, that's kind of part of where I started to get involved in researching all this, because all the stories I grew up loving were Japanese, and I wanted to understand them better. And here we are. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I guess it, it's kind of it, it's kind of pertinent that I brought you on specifically because uh, I, I don't know if you necessarily listened to like my previous episode before coming on here or anything with Maya Ben David. Um, I had a brief discussion on um, like anime, and uh, while I am. Uh, I guess I should clarify, like, because maybe I was, like, being a little bit harsh in that episode that, um, you know, there's, like, a lot of anime that I like. I guess just for me, there's a lot of, like, tropes in particular that I'm not a big fan of, and I think, uh, you know, kind of Googling it myself, maybe you can, like, help me expand on it. Like, uh, it seems like I'm not that big a fan of, like, I think it's called, like, moe culture, you know? Um, yeah, there's... Especially because a lot of the works that we get over here, like officially, are going to be the popular ones, and a lot of the popular stuff tends to stick towards what's, you know, what's been proven, especially in animated, like on TV animation rather than, say, manga. Manga, I think we tend to get a lot more of the weird and random shit because it's a lot easier. Um, there's definitely a trend towards tropes. And I think that that tends to be true in a lot of, of what I've experienced. Like, they they often have, like, specialized terms for this character or that character or this behavior or that behavior. It's it's very normal. And I, I, I can see, one, there are folks in the industry who are like, do we have to keep doing that? Like, they're, it's very um, marketable, I guess. You know? Like, what they know is going to sell. And uh, unfortunately, I think that's part of the the problems of anime in specific and the the troubles that animation's having where you know they're working their people to death and paying them nothing and and manga's got this too where they're working people to death and uh the stuff that's getting published is all pretty routine um because it has become such a huge industry i think you know movies in the west are having that problem where you know, all the movies that are coming out are the routine and the, you know, Disney and the next Marvel and the, that kind of thing. I don't know. It's 
there's definitely improvements to be made. I, I would just be careful being outside the culture, deciding for the culture what the improvements are, I guess. Uh, right. there, there's always more to learn. And there's a lot of, nowadays, because of the way that these cultures have intersected, there's a lot of resources online, Twitter accounts and folks from Japan, living in Japan, talking about this stuff that you can you can learn quite a lot about. Right, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's like, when I was thinking back, like, oh, man, I wasn't being fair because there is like a lot of, you know, animes that I like, whether it's like movies or like series, you know, like Angel's Egg, like Tokyo Godfather and things like that. I don't oh, yeah. necessarily have like that moe culture aspect to it. Um, and I I'm trying to like relax my own like, you know, because I do understand, for example, that they do kind of like approach humor in a different way to where it's like, I think... Um, I don't know, I've heard some people say it's, like, more sexual in nature, or... It's very different. I, I'm not studied enough on their humor to comment on it quite as much, but there is a lot, especially, I think, lost in language, because their language works so differently. Um, like, in the poetry, there's so many different puns and double meanings and things that go right over your head, unless you have a writer and a translator explaining it line by line. And I think there's a lot of that that's lost in their, their humor, too. Uh, and there is there is a lot, I think, at least in anime, uh, more raunchy humor. And again, I think that might lean towards, you know, our society is quite a bit puritanical, and I don't know that Japan's is really anywhere near as much as we are. You know, they may, I think they have a certain sense of propriety, but in the, when this when the scenario has been decided that okay, in this space we're allowed to be weird, they get weird. Whereas we always feel a little uncomfortable. We're always like, hmm, is this? I don't know. Oh my, this isn't right. That kind of thing. Hmm. Right, I got you. I got you. Um, I, I guess, you know, because you're, you were mentioning like a lot of like, uh, you know, outside fans, you know, looking into like Japanese and, you know, Japanese media and like, you know, making these value judgments on it. Um, uh, God, how do I want to word this? Um, so I, I guess, I guess in a broader sense, I mean, again, I'm not sure how, how comfortable you feel answering this. And if you don't like, you know, go ahead, uh, not to, I, I guess from your perspective, then like what, what improvements would you want to see from like Japanese media, like broadly in terms of maybe like the depiction of certain issues or, you know, things like that? Well, there's definitely still issues uh, for certain in, in every culture. And um, like recently, uh, I don't know if you've heard anything about with Attack on Titan and how uh, the author has been revealed as basically being a, a very right-wing Japanese uh, writer. The story very explicitly uh, espouses his right-wing views. And Japan has a, a history of nationalism and Korean fans and Chinese fans have kind of called this out and been like, hey, this is really messed up. And I don't think a lot of Americans have gotten the message. Either they never heard it or they just decided they didn't care about it because uh, I still see it everywhere. Um, the, the guy, pretty messed up guy. Um, kind of similar thing with Roroni Kenshin, where the, uh, well, this one I think I've seen more people know about, where the guy was uh, arrested for child pornography and then was released eventually, and now he's just writing Roroni Kenshin again and everybody in the industry's cool with it, which seems messed up. Um, you know, that, that that's, I think there's still definitely the same issue that we have 
you know, capitalist countries where money is everything, and if it sells, it sells. We don't care about the, you know, the consequences in this case because, you know, these things are making money. If it's not, you know, if, if it's not hurting something they specifically, you know, like the child violence kind of thing that happened in the 90s, I don't know, they just seem to be willing to let it go by, which is more a general issue, I think, with business culture and, you know, Japanese nationalism and all that. And again, my knowledge is very, very brief, very top of the, you know, skimming the surface kind of thing, but that is definitely still an issue and still appears. I think the entire existence of the concept of Hitalia says something about, I mean, that's just wild. I, I, I don't understand how we ever let that happen. Um, but it just seems to, you know, still be around in there somewhere and needs rooted out. Uh, Catal, or uh, what, what was that word you used? Italia? Have you heard of it? No, I don't. Th and explain for my audience. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, it was very famous uh, like a decade, two decades ago, and it's still around some. I don't hear about it as much in the West, even though I saw somebody talking about it on Twitter today. Uh, Italia, the concept is that it humanizes the countries of the world. So, like, America is a character and Britain is a character. But it specifically humanizes them in World War II. Oh, I've seen fan art of that. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. So go Nazi ahead. Germany is a character. And this is wild to me. And people went to anime conventions dressed as Nazis. And I don't know how this ever seemed okay to anyone. And it just, that's, and that's also something I think uh, certainly to certain Eastern artists, maybe it's just something too far removed, or maybe they just don't care. Uh, there's been artists that have been, you know, they've drawn characters in Nazi art, and it's like, I don't know how okay that is. I wouldn't do that. It just uh, sometimes comes up, you know. That's and I mean, that's an issue the world over right now. Right, absolutely. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm trying to transition this away from like <laughs> heavy topics. Yeah, Nazis. Shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, so I guess, uh, and you, and you briefly kind of talked about this like earlier, but like, I, I guess in a more immediate sense, um, for your fans that might be listening to this, uh, go ahead and, um, do you have any like, like immediate projects on the horizon for yourself? Um, well, I'm working on uh, a kind of a dive into Fatal Frame in a general sense. Uh, Fatal Frame being a series all about going to these terrible places that are haunted by ghosts for reasons that the character kind of has to dig into and find out. And the premise is exploring uh, the reasons culturally why these ghost stories, I guess, function. You know, the how Japan... Uh, interprets its ghosts because you know every culture has its own rules about ghost stories and what makes a ghost and how they work and Japan's happen to be very uh, intricate and Fatal Frame is a really good example of how the rules of a Japanese ghost story work right I guess yeah because obviously they're not like influenced by like Christianity so you know you, you don't have that like that, that connotation yeah, it's fascinating because, in general, Shinto tradition shies away from death. Uh, it doesn't really deal with it. it. It's not until Buddhism comes along that you see more of a Japanese concern with the afterlife. And so it, it's a very fascinating blend of, you know, we're alive here and now and we don't care about later, except, oh, now we do. 
in a different way. We're, we're kind of blending Buddhism and Hinduism and uh, indigenous Japanese traditions with Chinese Confucianism and Taoism. It's a fascinating blend. Hmm. I see. I see. Um, so I, I did notice one time, uh, I, I think it was like just uh, out of the blue because I was just working on my computer and I saw that you were streaming uh, Devil May Cry 5, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how often do you like to stream in general? Uh, used to be quite a bit more. Uh, this last month or two, I've been very busy with just general home life stuff as we've been moving into summer and uh, just working on various things here. Uh, I try to stream at least once or twice a week. Uh, in the past, it's been like three or four, but it, it changes with the seasons. Um, I typically play horror games, uh, but I've been known to switch it up. Right now I'm playing Fire Emblem. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, game series, and uh, I, I enjoy doing stupid voices for all the characters, so that's fun. Um, but yeah, I, I try to stream a couple times a week. I have a Discord where I try to keep people posted on whatever general stuff I'm doing. Um, sometimes we watch movies, sometimes we play Dead by Daylight, you know, we switch it up. Oh, what type of movies have you been watching? It's been a while, but, uh, we, we tend to watch horror movies, uh, especially we've watched some Japanese ones, uh, most recently. I think we watched Sweet Home and, um, what was the film, uh, House, which is a classic Japanese, uh, horror movie. It's absolutely wild. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Yeah, if, if if you like things that make you feel like you are on mushrooms while you watch them, you should watch House. Mm, cool. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, I guess... Hmm, I, I guess that, that kind of leads to this other interesting point I could ask you about. So, uh, you know, for... Like, again, like let's say people that aren't necessarily familiar with Japanese media that want to, like, learn more about it. I, I guess just in a broader sense, how would you... Like, if you had, like, a fan that's, let's say, approached you and said, oh, man, I really like your content. Um, I just haven't been able to get into, like, Japanese media, though, due to, like, a number of reasons. But now I have, like, the time or whatever. Um, How would you guide them into, like, okay, here's probably, like, you know, the best way to, like, enjoy it in its, like, you know, with, like, a fuller context? Boy. (laughs) Um, honestly, I I think... Uh, personally, I tend to, to uh, lean towards reading. I've always been a big reader. Uh, if that's something that folks are, are enjoy, there are a lot of collections in English nowadays of Japanese stories, especially in very short form, because a lot of Japanese folktales and ghost traditions are like very short. Uh, the the tradition of telling ghost stories and uh, sit, you sit down with your friends and you tell a hundred ghost stories until the lights all go out, uh, they all tend to be just a couple paragraphs. So you can sit down and even just read one in a, uh, you know, in a minute and move on and get a lot of exposure to a lot of repeated tropes of things you probably already seen in anime if you watch it of, you know, um, tricking uh, foxes and badgers that trick people and ghosts that come out of wells looking for revenge and what have you. Um, if you go further back, there's other collections about, you know, Japanese literature by, you know, your, your classic scholars. Um, some of those are a little harder to read and have been updated over the years. So I, I unless you really want to get deep into it, you know, the, the modern printings are probably far more accessible. And, uh, and besides that, I am sure there are YouTube channels that do what I do in a, you know, more general sense uh, than just video games. And 
probably talk about Japanese history there. Um, but there, there's lots of kind of short stories. Japan does a lot of short stuff. The poems are short, the fiction is often very short. Uh, it, you can find a lot of things that are more accessible that way, and just, just reading it kind of will help expose you, and eventually you'll start to notice some patterns and some repeating characters and some themes that keep popping up and get a hang on it. Hmm. I see. So no channels in particular that you could just throw out, you know, you know help Honestly, your fellow video essayists or whatever? <laughs> I Unfortunately, I really don't watch YouTube videos. Um, I, I When I, like, watch videos on YouTube, it's cats. I just, I don't watch essayists much because I, I'm a reader. I don't process information very well visually. So unfortunately, I don't I don't know anybody to recommend. Um, I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, folks listening probably have recommendations maybe they should should leave them in the comments i don't know if this is some place that has comments but i mean i have a twitter know. but nobody ever comments so don't worry about it <laughs> oh. <laughs> um so cat videos like what are, you, what are you from like 2012 or something like what Listen, there is actually, no, I take it back. There is a channel that I know about because of cats. Uh, Rachel and June, J-U-N, they're a married couple. The The wife is from America and the, the husband's from Japan. They live in Japan. And they have made like daily life videos about Japan. So not really like literature, but like daily culture places. They've gone to shrines and various things. Um, and they have a separate video for their cats. They have a separate channel for them, so... <laughs> Mm, very cool very cool um i guess well well i mean this next line of questioning i guess kind of depends on uh have do you played ghost of tsushima yet i have not unfortunately um i'm working through my backlog and uh not not allowing myself to buy any new games right now uh but i do really want to play it at some point mm. definitely gonna stream that oh looking forward to that uh, so I, I guess what I was trying to lead into, and I don't know if maybe you could pull your answer from somewhere else, but uh, how do you, th what do you, what do you take on like Western like companies or like you know Western artists interpreting like history from like Japan? What do they get right? What do they get wrong? Well, what's your whole take on that? Well, I think it's again it's something that's hard to judge and it's also you know it's not my culture not my place to judge um i remember when um when i think when that game first came out uh there there was kind of a contingent of folks in japan kind of playing it and enjoying it and being like wow this is really off and weird but i'm having fun if i remember right um i think it is healthy and good to try and engage with cultures that way you just have to be you know smart about it and 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 careful about it i think the samurai lends itself well to uh i guess maybe propaganda it can be dangerous to mess with that kind of stereotype since it is very tied very heavily to nationalism and imperialism in japan but it doesn't have to be necessarily it, you know it's kind of like the cowboy you can handle these these things uh, delicately and, and do them well. Uh, I, I think there was someone that did a video about the game and discussing it from that angle. I wish I remembered who, but um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing to do. I just think you have to be careful and definitely, you know, bring people on to, you know, help you with the project. Uh, I don't know if that was done here. Um, 
I, I have uh, heard of other game companies who've done this kind of project, like uh, Assassin's Creed 3. I think they brought on a lot of folks uh, from the native tribe that they were working with since that game, the main character was Native American. Um, I, I think that's a good example of how to handle that kind of cross-culture thing. Like, just be sensitive, be careful, talk to the people you're, you're working about, writing about, that kind of thing. Okay, well, we are approaching the um, hour mark. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, if you want to support the podcast, you can do so in a number of different ways. Uh, Godly, let me let me list them off the top of my head. Uh, let's see. I think, um, oh, kind of an update for my listeners. I no longer s- accept support through Anchor because now I opened up a Patreon account. So if you want to pay through a monthly subscription to help support the show, you can do so on Patreon. The, I made the move simply because, you know, I think more people are comfortable with Patreon than Anchor. And um, hopefully I'll have to look into it. I think uh, moving away from Anchor, I could like change what type of music I use for like my intro, outro. So I'll try and explore that. But yeah, no longer using Anchor. Um, um, switched over to Patreon. So if you want to support the show monthly, you could do so there. There's, you know, tier rewards basic reward uh in this section i would uh, you know list out your name you know do a shout out to like my patreon supporters uh, but since nobody has you know like section here uh but if i also have other methods too if you want to do one-time donations i still have the ko-fi account so um you know if you don't feel comfortable donating monthly you could go to ko-fi and do one-time donation uh I also have a merch store, so if you want to buy uh, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, things like that, you can um, buy that there. All of this should be linked on my Twitter account, at PodcastingPasta. Again, that's at PodcastingPasta. All one word, the P's are capitalized. Uh, you should find this under the pinned comment. I have it all listed here. Uh, Muse, thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, if you want to go ahead and shout out your own socials where people can find you. Sure. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am on YouTube at The Gaming Muse, uh, Facebook, Twitter, most places you can find me as The Gaming Muse. I also have a Kofi where I sell my books, where uh, I have more in-depth research on video games. Right now I have books on Silent Hill, Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 3, Bayonetta 1 and 2, and Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. Is it Kofi or Kofi? I can never pronounce that right. Nobody can. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Fair fair enough. Uh, Yeah, so thank you all for joining and take care.